Good morning, everyone. Um, while we were praying for Gilbert, I just felt God speak to me and say that there are going to be some moving and setup costs for him. And if you feel led, don't you want to go give him some bucks before you go home? We don't, I don't think we ever do this kind of thing. But uh, Gilbert has been phenomenally faithful in this space. You, many people won't know this, but he actually got diagnosed with a terminal, an incurable terminal disease while he was here, from which he will not die from, and he has been cured of by the God. And um, and uh, he actually said, he shared our staff devotion, said, I actually thought I was going to die. But he didn't stop serving this church at all, as ill as he was. And uh, so if you feel led, I mean, that's like a different story, but if you feel led by God, uh, there are going to be set, moving set costs for him when he goes to Cape Town. Just go and give him some bucks and say, God, this is from God. Is that cool? Nice. Um, I am going to continue our series uh, in this home. And part of what we're doing uh, in this home series, we're actually profiling organizations that we really believe in and we support because it's part of who we are and uh, how we serve in our city. And uh, today we're going to be speaking about We Are Durban. So we've got Linda, who heads up We Are Durban, coming up. Please give her a hand. got a few questions for her. Uh, Linz, you lead We Are Durban, and, uh, and We Are Durban is not like a, you're not a part of Olive Tree Church, you're a different government structure, so it's not like anyone's your boss from Olive Tree, in fact, Ross isn't even your boss from Olive Tree, so he's going to ask you nicely to do stuff for him, which is good, which he does to many people around here. Um, but um, Linz, maybe just tell us a little bit about, uh, I suppose, We Are Durban and, uh, and how you got to where you are. Hi, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, We Are Durban was birthed sort of in 2008, out of this church, but is a separate entity um, through our setup processes. But in 2008, Russ moved across to this church um, to, to become head pastor. I was one of the people sent with him to go and support him. And he started asking the question of, what is this community supposed to do and how are we in, supposed to impact Durban? Because a church in a building is not a church. A church that goes out is a church. So... Um, yeah, we started praying and dreaming into it and doing a lot of research. And we, in 2008, when I was driving through the city, I felt God say, I want you to serve the servants. And at the time, I realized it just made so much sense. We had, had at that stage, about 4,500 registered nonprofit organizations in Etekweni, and yet we were still seeing the human suffering we, we still see today, funny enough. Um, and... And with that many um, nonprofit organizations, there was clearly a disconnect between what they said they were doing and what they currently, they, they were actually being able to do. And that's for various reasons. Um, some organizations operate brilliantly, but some, the, the leaders have burnt out or they don't actually have the skills and capacity to take the organization forward and to serve the servants that was gonna be the best way forward. Um, with the resource we had available, which was wonderful people like yourselves. So we launched in um, 2010. Gary was our first staff member, um, and I, I went on maternity leave from my fully paid job and worked for We Are Durban for nothing for nine months, actually 10 months, and then carried on the, the baton once Gary worked at Olive Tree Church. Um, yeah, and we, we built relationship for the first six years. We literally built relationship with nonprofit organizations and figured out where the real struggles were in their organizations. 
and about three years ago changed tack and have become very strategic in how we help organizations through our volunteer program and our upskilling programs that we have with the leaders. That's awesome. Um, so, so you know, the volunteers, I think that you've got 180 volunteers. Active volunteers, meaning that they are currently serving for four hours a month or one hour a week in a different organization, and they serve 220 organizations. And here's the thing is that you guys have skills. You've got wonderful, wonderful skills, and there are organizations in our city that needs them, and your skill could take that organization to the next level so that they do their job better. And maybe you've got a story for us in this space, um, just to illustrate it. I've got so many stories, but... Time limits us, so I'll tell you one great story. Many of you will know iCare. Um, it's an organization in town that deals with street children, um, all the way from them still being on the streets through rehabilitation and either reintegration into their families or um, into a home that iCare has. And they've got, they're a very established organization. They have a marketing department, and but they just wanted some external opinions. And so we placed a marketing volunteer with them who asked a number of questions and discovered that they actually, though they, their donations were, were quite widespread, there was a specific area in which they got the, most of their donations, but they weren't marketing to that specific area. So they shifted their strategy just to focus mainly on that, or, that bunch of people resulting in a lot more sustainability within the organization, a lot more kids they were able to serve, and um, going forward, they, they're going to be in, in Durban for a long time, helping those kids that, that venture to the streets. Isn't it amazing that a marketing person takes their skill, plugs into an organization, and more kids are getting looked after? And you've got to understand the resources that you have, sometimes in your hand and sometimes in your head, that God has given you to invest in organizations that will change the future of our city. And so that's essentially that. Linz, how do we get involved? Okay, so actually there are three ways you can get involved. I mentioned two this morning and I realized there's a third one. So the first is um, volunteer. So whatever skill, whatever makes you, you, there is something in you that you can give to Durban, to one of the organizations in Durban that can progress that organization. Uh, the best thing to do is get hold of Deirdre um, her email address is volunteer, very simple. If you want to volunteer, email volunteer at wearedurban.com. So we are Durban, all one word, and .com, just think of us as we're, we're international, even though we're not, we're Durban. Um, so get hold of Dee and tell her a little bit about yourself and what you have to give, whatever that looks like. Um, and what area you want to get involved in, because not all of us are the same. Some of us love to deal with kids, and some of us don't. I'm not a kids person. I'm a, I'm, I'm a social um, community person. So don't put me in a children's home. I don't, I don't thrive there. But put me in the strategic place of the organization, and I thrive. So we're all different. You've got a different thing to give. Plug in where you, you can. The other th way to get involved is um, Deirdre is our only volunteer coordinator. She manages 180 active volunteers, and we've got a database of 2,000 volunteers who just do once-off um, every now and then things. So we don't actually count them as part of our 180. Um, and she's one person. So anyone here in HR, picture that. You're managing 180 staff members 
on, on the low end of the scale and 2,000 on the big end. We, we struggle with that. So the best way you can get involved if you, you can't give your time is with your finance. Um, and we can then, on a sustainable level, so 100 rand a month or 200 or 300 rand a month, we can then hire another volunteer coordinator to help place more people and make bigger impacts on Durban. And the third is many of you know our bucket drive that we do every year. We normally do that in October, November. This year we're doing a winter drive with a whole group of churches across South Africa for the month of June. So literally the whole of June, you can bring in clothes, beanies, non-perishable food items and blankets, and we will distribute them through our organization networks to the poorest of the poor in the community. So there's something for everyone to get involved in Durban. Thank you so much, Linda. Give her a hand. Thank you. Okay, in this home. Uh, in this home is a series that really uh, exists to do two things. Uh, number one, we want to speak about the culture of this home. And number two, we want to um, call our people to faith and generosity. And uh, we're going to ask you to pledge um, free will offering. In other words, no coercion, free will. Um, pledge towards what's needed to really finish uh, the last touches on this building. And uh, has anyone ever done a home, like a home renovation project? Stuff doesn't always go according to plan. Ever find that? Uh, so what happened is we had a plan for, to only, the engineer said we didn't need to replace the roof, and then lo and behold, we had to. So it kind of like affects your budget a little bit. Um, and so like any home renovation project, it creeps. And so we had creep, and uh, we really want to raise the finances and have faith that to finish this and, uh, and say that's done. And we always want to improve and keep it going, but, but that's done for now. Um, and so those are the two things, culture of this place. And, uh, and calling up people to faith. And so I'm really going to speak about those two things and where they come together. Um, has anyone... So I want to talk about, talk about speaking about culture. Has anyone ever been stuck in a current or a rip current in the ocean? Anyone know that? A few people? Okay, so if you have, you'll know it's a fairly uh, unpleasant experience, unless you want to be stuck in the current. Uh, we'll talk about that. Um, but... Uh, but uh, it's fairly unpleasant, so hopefully I can save lives today, like physical lives, you know, not just spiritual lives, uh, because I'm going to educate you about rip currents in the ocean. Okay, so the way it works over here is you, you'll be at the beach, and you'll notice that the waves break more in some places than other, and the reason they break there is because there's sandbanks. So the swell comes in, the sandbank is over here, and the swell gets pushed out of the water, and it breaks, okay? But now all that water is getting pushed up onto the beach, and it's got to go out somewhere. That's what a rip current sport. It comes, and it moves together, and it flows out in one channel, and what happens is that current actually digs the sand away so that the waves don't break there as often. That's why it doesn't break there, and the water flows out there. So when you, if you're surfing, or if you're like me, if you spearfish, uh, the way uh, I, uh, when you come to the beach, you actually stand on the beach for a while and you look for the rip current because you want to find the rip current. Because it's so much easier to go out because you want to swim past the waves. So it's like, where's the waves breaking? What's going to pull me out uh, into the ocean? Because, you know, when you're in a current, you look so good. I feel like I'm an Olympic athlete swimmer because it's just like, wow, I'm out there, okay? Um, the other benefit of it is that waves don't break on your head in that moment. And so uh, you, you, you go out. Now, swimming against the current is tricky. And that's harder because when you're coming in, 
Now, like when you went out, you were standing on the beach, you were elevated, you could survey the whole thing. Now when you're coming in, it's quite tricky because your head's this far above the water. So now you can't see anymore. So now you're like, oh, look, that place looks better because there's no waves there, and obviously the rip current's there. And so you start heading in there, and all of a sudden you find yourself in a rip. And I've literally had experiences where I'm swimming as hard as I can. With, obviously, I've got my goggles on, and so I can see the floor, and I'm getting dragged backwards. Now, I've got fins, which are about this long, from the, like a meter-long fins. And eventually, sometimes I'm holding my spear gun with one, and I'm like this, and I'm still getting dragged out because swimming against a current is really difficult. Obviously, by going out, I mean, coming back in, like I've been diving for three hours, and then my hamstring starts to cramp because I'm prone to cramp, and then I'm going like this, and I'm like praying, please, Jesus, just send a wave to knock me through to the shore. Because here's the thing, is that when you work with a current, it's awesome, but when you try and fight against a current, it's a lot of hard work. Culture is a current. Culture creates a way that this is the way most people are moving. This is the way, the direction. And when you come into that culture and you move with that culture, it's just like you get dragged along. Of course, if the culture is ungodly, then we have to resist it. But if a culture is godly and right and helps in your faith, then you actually want to come into it and get pulled along with it. And so this church, in this church, we want to build a culture. So that other people, the people who aren't here yet, are going to step through those doors one day. And in this space, they're going to find that it's easier to be godly than ungodly. It's easier to have faith than fear. Maybe out there in the world, outside these doors, people complain about stuff, but we don't in here. Out there, people can uh, have fear around finances and politics, but in here we have faith. And we pray. And what happens is people will step into that stream and they'll find it's easier to have faith than fear. Out there it might be easier to have fear than faith. And here it must be easier to have faith than fear. And so when we see fear, people must be like, this is so weird. Why? Because they're part of the culture that we create. And here's the thing, is it doesn't take a few leaders to build a culture. It takes everyone. You have a role in helping us build culture here. And my dream is that, that the thing we are fighting for and took us months or years to build, someone's going to walk through those doors and in weeks they're going to be at where we're at after months. Or months they're going to be at where we're at after years. Let me explain two examples from church history this has worked. Number one is being filled with the Holy Spirit. We pray for people that get filled to get filled with the Holy Spirit. And I fully expect in that moment that within five minutes, in fact, if I'm lacking faith as five, normally it's like two, that person's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. More than 100 years ago at Azusa Street, because what happened is in the church, we actually lost the belief that the Holy Spirit wanted to have a relationship with all of us. And there was a, a group of people in a small church in Azusa Street in Los Angeles, and the, their lead pastor started preaching that God wanted to give people the gift of speaking in tongues and fill them with the Holy Spirit today. Everyone thought he was mad. And the church had a 10-day prayer meeting. And after 10 days, the first person was filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues. What took them 10 days takes us two minutes. Why? Because now we're like, well, isn't that just normal? Isn't that just normal? We're not fighting unbelief like, will God really fill us with the Holy Spirit? We're like, of course he'll fill us with the Holy Spirit. Of course. 
That's what he's been doing. Like from the book of Acts till now. Well, actually from the book of Acts, then we lost it. And some brave people fought for it. And we inherit their victory. There's another place is healing. We see healings in this church every single week. But when I was a young believer, when I was 16, 17, 18, if one church saw one healing a year, people are talking about it. We're claiming that as our own. God's healing people in the churches in Durban. Actually, one church in Durban once. Because it's not like we saw this happen very often. We saw it happen now and again. But there were a group of people that God put on their heart that healing is for today. And some people fought for that and they contended for that. And now we're like, yeah, but doesn't God heals people. And there's still people that are contending for it. And I believe in the future, we'll get to the point where if you don't have faith, it's going to take five minutes. And you're like, really? Yeah. Because people who were filled with the Holy Spirit 100 years ago never would have thought it could happen in five minutes. But now we do. And we're fighting for faith that the future generations will inherit our victory. Why? Because they come into that current and it's easier to flow with it than against it. Now let me talk about the current of this church in the area of finances and generosity. And to do that, I want to speak, I want to, I want to highlight this thing around the promises of God. So the promises of God exist for, are multifaceted and exist for every sphere of life, but there's some specific ones for finances, and Jesus spoke about finances more than any other subject, and he does because it becomes a little bit of a litmus test around faith. And so we're going to speak, dig into this thing here for a few minutes. I've lost my place. There we go. 2 Peter 1 verse 4 to 5. I'm going to speak to you about the promises of God. And because of his, that's God's glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. You see, we just think of God's glory as his own thing. God, we glorify you. God, you're glorious. But out of God's glory and excellence flow promises for us. These are the promises that enable us to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. Do you understand that the promises of God, as we enter into them, we begin to share in his divine nature. In other words, we look like God or we become godly. So when you're operating in faith in God's promises, you start to look like God. The alternative to that is we follow human desires, which is corruption. So you follow human desires, you end up corrupt. You follow the promises of God, you end up looking like God. In view of all of this, make every effort, this is what we're going to pursue, to respond to God's promises. You need to make every effort to respond to God's promises. And then he goes, supplement your faith. And he begins a list of things that we can add to our faith to go there. But the starting point is faith. Faith is the starting point of promises, and this is what I want to uh, highlight today. Romans 4, verse 16. So the promise is received by faith. It is given as a free gift. You know, if, if someone comes to you and says, man, I bought you a gift, a free gift for your birthday, and then you remember, oh, I didn't buy them one. You know, you have that moment where you start to feel bad about the free gift they've got given you. And then you go, so sorry, I didn't get you one. And you want to make excuses. And maybe you might even say, oh, I've got to go get this person one now. Then it's no longer a gift. Then it's an exchange. 
So the Bible doesn't say that the promises of God are because of an exchange. You don't have to give him something so that he gives you something. They're a free gift and you receive them. These are the promises that enable you to share his... Oh, different verse. Where am I? Oh, 4.16. And we are all certain to receive it. I'm going to get Pentecostal on you this morning. Is that a problem? You don't know yet. You don't even know what that means. Don't worry. And we are all... Say all. All. Amen. That's it. That's as Pentecostal as we're getting this morning. So don't worry. We're safe. And we are all... Say all. All. Certain, certain to receive it. Okay, you're getting too Pentecostal now. Let me preach. I like it. You just see there's a current. You just came substream. Woo. We are all, you are certain to receive God's promises because you're a part of the all. Not for certain people, special people, that quality of Christian. Hey, that person, they serve a lot. They read. Forget about it. All. Certain to receive his promises. Whether or not we live according to the law of Moses, in other words, whether or not we have a standard for our lives, we measure against it. If we have faith, say faith. Faith, faith like Abraham's. For Abraham is the father of all who believe. You see, God took a man called Abraham. He made him to a nation. Out of that nation came a savior and a Bible, and he birthed salvation into this world. And Abraham received that promise because he believed God, the promise that I'll make you into a great nation. I will give you a land. I will bless you, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. That promise he received by faith. And when you put your faith in God and his promises, you're certain to receive them. And that sounds always worked for the last 4,000 years. And so when it comes to, to finance, okay, another point, sorry, I'm getting carried away here. 2 Corinthians 1.20, and no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Because sometimes, have you ever read a promise? And you're like, well, I can believe that promise, but this one, ooh, it's tough. Ever had that, that promise for me? What does it say? For no matter how many promises God has made, they are, yes, in Christ. That promise that you're struggling to believe, it's yes to you. Why? Because the promises of God were always for the righteous, and Jesus Christ has made you righteous, so it's yes for you. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. So God goes, here's my promise to you, and you say, amen. Amen. One more time. God says, here's my promises to you, and you say, You know what that means? So be it. Not, yo, God, are you sure? (laughs) Even for me. Hey, God, but you know what I did last week? No, no, amen. And then, shh. (laughs) So be it. Here's my promise to you, my son, my daughter. So be it, Lord. I receive that, because that's called faith. I agree with God. I don't find reasons why that promise can't apply to me. I find reasons to say, you know what? Jesus Christ died for my sins and qualified me. Therefore, this promise is yes in God. And I say amen. It's called faith. So now we're getting to the issue of finances. How do we apply this principle of faith and the promises of God to your finances? Remembering that this journey will end up in you living the divine nature of God. 
So there's a lot more at stake than your money. Money is a tool. The real journey is the divine nature of God. God is shaping your life as you place your promises, uh, your faith in his promises. Here's a promise for you, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things, meaning the provision of God, if you see that context, will be given to you as well. What? No, 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 God. I seek all these things and then I do the kingdom here. No, 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 no. I seek the kingdom here and you add. Philippians 4.19, and the same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches, which he has given to us in Christ Jesus. And remember, that promise for you is yes in Christ, and you say? Amen. Amen. The principle of faith. And so I want to talk about a principle of faith called the principle of first fruits. Genesis chapter 4, to highlight how faith works when it comes to our finances. Genesis chapter 4. Now Adam had sexual relations with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant. When she gave birth to Cain, she said, With the Lord's help I have produced a man. Later she gave birth to his brother and named him Abel. Two brothers, Cain and Abel. When they grew up, Abel became a shepherd while Cain cultivated the ground. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best portion of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry and he looked dejected. And we know that Cain goes on to kill Abel. I always found this very difficult to understand. And in the beginning, I really thought it was because God was not a vegetarian. Obviously, he's going to dig lambs more than grain. I think it was the convenient excuse to justify my passion for lamb. But there's some clues here. Because here's the first thing you need to know. Number one, both gave an offering to God. One was accepted, one was rejected. So not every offering to God is the same. In fact, it's possible to make an offering to God and it not to be accepted by Him. Now that's like weird. <laughs> no, no, but, God, but I'm giving. Yeah, but it's not acceptable. And just so we know, we're clear, the context of this verse is before the giving of the law of Moses where God clarified what kind of offering is acceptable and what kind of offering isn't. So there was a principle at play that preceded the law that we need to understand. Why? Because it's a principle in the heart of God, and it comes back to this issue of faith. Two clues. There's a description of the offering. Cain presented some of his crops. Everyone say some. some. Abel also brought a gift, the best portion of the firstborn lambs from his flock. Everyone say first. first. Cain gave some. Abel gave from the first. Interesting. So basically what Abel did is he had a sheep, and when it had its first lamb, he said the first is for God. Not knowing how many more that sheep was going to produce. What happens if it only produced one? Now you've got one sheep, which is going to die, and you gave away its offspring, so that whole lineage is going to pass away, and you're going to be that much poorer. So how do you give your first to God 
through faith that there's going to be more. Cain, on the other hand, gave some. So what Cain did is he waited to see how much of a harvest he was going to get. And when he made sure that he was going to be okay, he said, let me budget some for God. No faith in that. Both are offerings. Faith, no faith. So what happens when we get to the beginning of our month and we go, times are a little bit tough. I don't know if my kid or the dog is going to get sick this month. And you actually pray it's the kid because vets are more expensive than doctors. (laughs) It's true. Like... And maybe you've got more faith for your kid to get healed than your dog, you know? It's, you don't know. And so let me just hold back on giving to God my tithe until I see how it goes for me. And once I know I'm going to be okay, then I'll give. Is that faith? God, thank you that you have increased me this month by my salary. And I'm going to give first not knowing what's going to happen because I believe you are with me. Faith. It's amazing how, as I said, (laughs) how tangible this issue of finances become because we think it's a line item in our bank called a balance and God thinks it's an area for faith that you can grow into the divine nature of God. Next time you log into FMB or whatever, are you seeing a faith journey or are you seeing a budgeting journey? And so God calls us to faith. God calls us to faith because God has a financial plan for your future and this is what it is that you would live without fear or worry. Because what we do is we go, if I get more money, then I'll stop worrying. And God says, no, 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 no. There are plenty of rich people out there who worry all the time. And by the way, sometimes you're that rich person. Because we don't always see ourselves as wealthy. But who are you comparing yourself to? And also we're wealthy in God because he gave us his son. (laughs) How much more freely will, with him, will he give us all things? We have the promises of God. And so God has a financial future for you which is without fear, without worry. And according to what Ross explained last week from 2 Corinthians or 1 Corinthians, I forget. That you will have enough to live on and be generous for the rest of your life. That's God's heart and plan for your finances. And into this promise, into this future, he asks us to have faith. Proverbs 3, 9 to 10, here's another promise for you. Honor the Lord with your wealth. You can honor God with your money. And with the first fruits of all your produce, with the first of all your increase, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. If you're not into barns and wine, there's some other stuff for you. I'm sure that God is happy to exchange Where else is this principle? Actually, this principle is found throughout Scripture. When Noah climbs off the boat and he's only got a limited supply of animals and he only had six clean animals, he sacrifices a few of them believing God was going to add 
Then the people of Israel go into uh, the promised land, and the very first city is Jericho, and God says, the first is mine. See, because God can't be second. The first is mine, but we don't know if we're going to conquer any other cities. That's fine. First is mine. Thereafter, you can have. Then in the people of Israel, God gives them this thing. He says, every time you go into harvest, give the first fruits, the first portion of that harvest. But what happens if we have a bad rain and the rest of the crop is wiped out? Faith. And then God gives his first son to harvest many more sons and daughters. And then he calls us to live lives of faith. Can I be honest with you? So often when we discuss this issue of finances, people can get hooked, myself included, and we struggle with who's preaching. Yeah, but you don't know my situation. We struggle with how they make the ask or what they're asking for, the way the money's going to be going, the nature of the sermon. And to be honest, that's why pastors, including this one, really don't enjoy talking about this that much. But here's what I know. The very nature of God is available to you through this journey. And I would be a poor steward of the grace of God in the scriptures to our community if we did not teach on this. And here's what you've got to go. You've got to go and say, well, I don't know if I like the way you're doing that. Trust God to discipline this son. To disciple me in the way I communicate. And I'm going to trust God to disciple us. Trust God to disciple you. Because my journey, or whoever's speaking about this, can't take away from the journey that you have to go on in this area of your life. And God's inviting you from. Can I be really honest with you? Some of the most amazing adventures I've had with God has been in the realm of finances. I've literally almost hyperventilated as I've given in faith. I don't know how much faith is. Is it still faith if you're hyperventilating? I don't know. It's like, and it's just like God just says, just breathe shallow. And I've had money multiplied in my hand. Literally, physically multiplied in my hand. I've traveled the world by faith. And I've cried out to God as I've realized I've had fear in my heart that is warring against the divine nature. I know he's called me to. And I've said, God, please set me free from this fear. I have gone into a bank to fight with the bank and said, you've made a mistake. There's too much money in my account. True story. Because God, I don't know, like I'm pretty on it with my finances. And when you, I was scared they were going to one day say, hey, we gave you money by mistake and we're going to take it back. And I was like, I might not have it then. And I literally went to the bank and I said, you guys have made a mistake. You've given me too much money. And the lady was like, what? <laughs> and I stood in an aisle in the shopping center asking God whether I should buy cheese because I didn't have enough faith for it. I've lived the range of this. And so many of us have too. And all I want to say to you is in this season of your life, there's faith for you. And there's an adventure for you. Because sometimes you go, well, in that season of this life, I lived that so well. And I'm so glad that season's gone by because now I can relax a little bit. And I'm saying in this season, God's got freedom and joy and faith and adventures for you in this area of your life. And so here's what we're going to do. Next week, 
We're going to be, it's, we're calling it Pledge Sunday. We're going to invite people to give to the ongoing building needs here. And 20% of whatever we raise is going to go to We Are Durban, Live Village, and Key of Hope. And here's what I'm asking you to do. Simply say, God, do you have an adventure for me in this journey? And don't be surprised if God says yes, and don't be surprised if God says no. I've sat in meetings like this where someone says, I'm taking out this offering. I say, God, do you want to give? And God says, no. I'm not calling you to give here. I've got something else for you or not in this season. And sometimes it took more faith to hear a no because then the guilt started to come. And I had to go, no, I'm free not to give in Jesus. Free not to give. And if you don't feel free not to give, you've got a room to grow, a way to grow in faith. And sometimes I hear God say yes. And then the next question is, God, how much do you want me to give? Because this is our journey. Give me a figure. If you're a couple, pray about it together. And go with the one with more faith. No, I'm joking. <laughs> I'm joking because this causes tension in couples. You've got to navigate this. Because so often people have, actually, my wife and I, we've got, she has got so much faith just to bless people with gifts and all that kind of stuff, and I don't. And I've got faith to give to this kind of stuff, and she doesn't, and we really have to work that out in God. Not that it doesn't have faith, it's that it's harder, it's a stretch for us. So work it out together, but do it as a couple. God, do you want me to give? And how much do you want me to give? Let me partner with my faith with you in this season. Because there's promises and there's a divine nature. And let me tell you right now, as you make that commitment, the current just got a little stronger. And people are going to walk through our doors and years and months ahead, struggling about money, worrying, up at night, anxious, counting every penny. And they're going to come into the current that we're building in, in the Spirit of God, and they're going to be set free. And you think you're fighting for just you right now. You're not. You're fighting for us. You're fighting for future generations that are going to come through this door. And the decisions we make has a spillover effect far beyond us. Let's pray. I actually just want to pray for people. And if you're sitting here, you can keep your eyes closed and head bowed. If you're just sitting here and you're going, God, I'm feeling so challenged and nervous, but I believe you're speaking to me this morning and I want to say, God, I'm giving you permission to come and speak to me about my giving. If that's you, can you just slip up your hand quickly? I'd love to pray for you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Father God, you've seen those people who've acknowledged, that's me, God. Father God, I pray for a supernatural release of faith. I pray that even as these words are spoken, faith is imparted through this community right now. In Jesus' name, let faith arise. We banish fear. We banish worry. We banish anxiety. And we decree the faith of God in this community. Free people 
can live generous lives by faith, that we can do the impossible by faith because our God is with us. I pray, God, for a release of your grace and your faith in this community, and I just pray, God, that boldness will rise in people's hearts. I thank you that you're a good father that disciplines and disciples your children so that we can enter into the very nature of God himself. In Jesus' name. And God, I pray for this, us, God, the current that we're building, God, the culture that we're building. God, I pray the future generations of people walking to this church would get swept up in what you've done in our day. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much.